Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. I'm Robert the Duke Fedork. And I'm Corey CJ Wesley. All right, folks, we're taping here at 1 p.m. on Sunday, so the three drink minimum is waived. For today only. For today only, that's right. So Robert, what are we getting into today? Today we're talking about origin stories, the legend. Returns. I'm Batman. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So we're going to talk about what makes us who we are and where we came from and all that kind of good crap. That's right. Every time they make a new Batman movie, they got to show the origin story again. We are going to talk about ServiceNow stuff, which is going to brighten it up quite a bit. So (laughs) I've given this story a few times. I'm sure you've given yours as well. But I guess if we're going to ask people to to stay with us through 574 episodes, then... Minimally. Yeah, for sure. This year. Then we should probably (laughs) let them know a little bit about who we are. Corey, why don't you tell us how you became the Batman? You know, I kind of lucked into and accidentally fell into service now. It was really weird. I started off in IT long, long ago and uh, done practically everything you can do in IT. Was at uh, my last corporate gig, ultimately stayed there for about 15 years. And there was a pause there or whatever, and, I, and things happened, and I took over the previous ticketing system. And that's kind of what kicked off my journey into service now, believe it or not. Um, it was Magic Service Desk or Service Desk, service desk Express. And we had a, another team in the, in the company that was managing it. And because they didn't use it, mm-hmm. they, they didn't really care too much to do anything with it. <clears throat> so then we, um, the group that I was a part of, we took it back and uh, my boss handed it off to me. I was kind of in a, in a lull in terms of responsibilities and said, hey, figure this out. And so I did. It was kind of also like my, my first foray in, in the coding as well. I'd, I'd done like batch scripts and, and all that kind of command line scripting and stuff like that and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I hadn't really done any any major, major programming or whatever. But long, long story short, right, it's SQL programming and all of that. And so I kind of got into it and, you know, we got requirements and, you know, I was starting to knock stuff out. And I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool, kind of making this thing do things. And then the more esoteric the requirement was, the more motivated I was to make it actually work inside the system until I figured out the system can do whatever SQL can do. And then, you know, that's kind of like when the, when the lights switch hit. Anyway, fast forwarding, that product got into life. We had to find something new. Ended up going out to a uh, ITSM um, show or whatever. Found ServiceNow. The rest is history, right? You don't, you don't, in that era, you don't look at ServiceNow and compare it to everything else and walk away and think this isn't going to work. No, it's <laughs> literally the best thing there, right? Like, as yeah. soon as we all looked at it, it was like, yeah, this thing, that, this is it. Was that the event I met you at, the basketball game? Uh, no, no, no. This was a couple events before that. We actually went out, there was an ITSM show out in King's Cross in London. We saw a few things like um, Remedy Force or whatever that god awful thing was. And then uh, a couple things like Hornbill and, whatever land desk offering was at the time. But then we ran across service now. And then like literally we all just start texting each other, like get over to this booth. <laughs> <laughs> you know the scene in the matrix when uh, Morpheus and Neo are starting to spar uh-huh. and the whole, the whole freaking crew comes down to watch. That's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're sitting there and the guy's going through his little spiel and I'm like, just hold on one second. And I'm, I get on the group chat and I'm like, everybody to this booth, you got to see this. This thing is freaking amazing. And wow. so everyone is there from like VP all the way down to like the, the lowest levels of the people we had at the show. And it was just my, our mind was blown. At that point, when we walked away from it, you know, the question wasn't what we're going to buy anymore. It's like how we're going to justify 
this to the CTO that we don't need to look at anything else. Mm-hmm. We ultimately did buy it, got a um, company to come in and implement it. You know, this is, I think, the kind of the key too in my story, right? Is that the company that did our implementation, I negotiated with them to ensure that the implementation was done as a series of working sessions with me mm-hmm. rather than them just implementing it on their own and handing it off. And I think that's really the key in terms of why I was able to skip kind of a lot of the learning process in ServiceNow and kind of skip ahead. Because at the end of that engagement, I won't say I was good, I wasn't great, but I was average, right? Like, I was, yeah, you know, I was I was good enough to do the things that needed to be done. And, and I knew enough to be able to get in trouble with the stuff that also needed to be done that I knew I wasn't capable of. Right, yet. right. But, but I had a dev environment for that. So... You know, when you when you put those two things together, you end up with a person who, you know, can either destroy some things or get really good really quickly. Right. I did both. <laughs> so, I mean, you probably obviously started with the ITSM suite as everybody did back then because it's the only thing you could buy on ServiceNow. It was a great, it was a platform play. So you basically just got the platform. But what would you say is the, because you, you see the demos and you're like, aha, but then you get it in the environment and you're like, aha, right? So what was, what was that, that Batman moment for you? You know what it was? It was how ServiceNow unlocked my thinking to everything else in the business. Oh, you had that too? <laughs> yes. It's kind of like, wait a minute. IT isn't the only player at this table. <laughs> yeah. And how... Everything in the business can be can be distilled down to workflow automation, right? Give me a GUI, give me a workflow behind it, some emails, right? I can take mm-hmm. anything that, that that we're doing at this company and put it through ServiceNow. Once that happened, that's when I I was so then I was like, oh man, this thing is you have no idea how powerful this thing is. I was telling like I literally became chief evangelist inside of the company. And I'm, I'm telling anybody who will listen, I'm telling mm-hmm. the lunch lady, like, you have no idea what ServiceNow can do. <laughs> and it, and it, it was it was great. And we bought it for initially for an IT department. So we, we rolled out Incident Change, CMDB Lite, and then we rolled out Discovery. Eventually, we were using a different product and we swapped over to ServiceNow's Discovery, which made our life a whole hell of a lot easier. Yeah, from there, it became, what else can we do? My boss would get these requirements from his boss and he'd be like, you know, I'd really love to see or how could we do? And I'd be like, you know, what? we can actually do that. And this mm-hmm. is where you start to get in trouble <laughs> because I quickly found out that there was nothing that you could actually say that we could do. That there was nothing that you could ask to be done in ServiceNow that you couldn't actually do, and uh, that's the start of a, of, of a lot of trouble. But so, it, can I interrupt you there and ask you? A couple yeah, questions? absolutely. Go for it. Because I, I want to have a certain amount of continuity with episode one. And if you haven't watched episode one, please go ahead and do so. Because these concepts are going to come up over and over again in our chats about ServiceNow architecture. We talked about the virtues of architecture, right? Scalability, sustainability, modularity, and transferability. Were any of those concepts kind of like seedlings in your mind at the time? Or did anything about that those first deployment experiences start kind of like... Scalability was the main one that was that was in my head. Having having devved myself into several corners with uh, Magic Service Desk, right? I, I wanted to ensure that I didn't do the same thing with ServiceNow, and not only me, right? It was it was also something that we we were conscious of as a uh, company or as a small group, right? Mm-hmm. Was that we wanted to make sure that we weren't building something that we would have to dig ourselves out of later on. 
Right. Uh, and that was the case with SDE. We had built this massive catalog tree. It was literally hundreds and hundreds of items. And I, I know you have a certain affinity for catalog trees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, categories. I should say category trees. And, category um, trees. Yeah. And so uh, we had learned we had learned things, right? We had learned that things have to be sustainable. We had learned that coding in a feature for one person wasn't something that would work. We'd learned that we had to keep things fairly module and, and, and uh, modular and, and upgradable. And so I'd taken those same lessons and brought them to ServiceNow. So when I was actually building systems, I was doing my best to kind of keep them scalable, keep them modular and keep them in, in a way that may future be, uh, you know, have a better experience. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, a lot of those concepts did they definitely kind of were, were seeds in, in my head there. They were also at war with the outlandish requirements that I was receiving, right? When people start to sense a little bit of the power of the platform, they start to ask you to do everything. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're, I mean, if you're also excited and passionate about the platform as I was, you know, you don't really want to say no because it's this new shiny thing, mm-hmm. right? And like, I wonder if I could do, oh crap, I can't actually do that. And so, you know, and I think those kind of moments when you're, when you're getting into a, a, a platform as such a service now, it's kind of a necessity in order for you to jump ahead and become a very good resource in this area, right? Because I think a lot of people don't always take that jump. They're a little, they're, they're a little timid about actually trying to push the platform outside of maybe to specify use cases or pushing back a little bit more on the, on the line of business request that they you know, could probably do, but feel like it's outside of the scope of what they should do. You know, you really cut your learning off there. You know, and you set yourself back a little bit in terms of things that you might be able to, to accomplish and future you, right? It's going to now be stunted for it. I have a very similar experience. Once other parts of the business saw what ServiceNow could do, and they weren't parts of the business that were that had ticketing tools, workflow tools for the most part, you know, the flood of demand necessitated that you grow your architecture wings really fast and we right. go back to those virtues again. Because, or not the virtues, but the slash dilemma, right? Because a dev would just be like, okay, let's go do it. Right. Right. Whatever they ask. But the architecture in you is saying, whoa, there's going to be some conflicts. There's going to be competing ideas. So how are we going to get a bunch of different departments with no clear hierarchy roll up to operate on this platform together? Yeah. And I, I encountered that more than once, right? With the... The project management module is, a, you know, one of the key things that key memories that comes to, comes to mind around that. And, you know, there was one group that did project management a certain way and they wanted to use certain service now for it. You know, and I had to tell the boss, like, look, we can do this, but it's ill-advised if we do this, because this really at that point locks this into that group and that group's process. I know we're not using it now. But we do also do project management in our group, and we might want to use it in the future. So we got to kind of weigh that out. So the advisory services, right, that that comes with being an architect, that kind of was always in the back of my mind. And probably a little bit more so, too, because of the nature of the place that I worked at. Um, Mm -hmm. It was an executive search place. So, you know, the whole leadership and advisory services and all that kind of stuff all kind of would always merge together. But that's my origin story, right? Like going from IT to magic to service. Now, what about yours, Robert? Well, it's funny that you mentioned magic because that's how I came up in the world. As soon as I got out of college, this Canadian mom and pop consulting company, you can kind of compare it to a small service now partner by today's standards, was basically 
scooping up anybody with a university degree because it was easy. To, I'm Canadian, so it was easy to get. Uh, you can't, you you can't be Canadian. Working. I haven't heard one A. Yeah, I've been here a while. I, I'm an American. <laughs> and my, and my, if you cut me open, I bleed red, white, and blue, but I have been a Canadian citizen. I will be an American citizen. Anyways, at the time with NAFTA, it was way easier for people with college degrees to get professional working permit in the US. So I had this college degree. You know, They taught me how to use Magic Total Service Desk, and a few weeks later, I was off doing consulting for it. And I did that for years and years and years and years. That's awesome. And I got settled into a company in the US. They brought me over permanently and I was doing magic stuff. Like you said, magic had been bought by Remedy. Remedy was slowly destroying the product. They were <laughs> they were impossible to deal with. And so we switched to HP Service Desk and Ooh. that took six months to deploy incident problem change and a couple catalog items and okay. the the company hp was equally impossible to deal with from a from a customer service perspective but the product was just like insanely bad insanely bad I'm talking like 30 to 45 second delays between click and noticeable oh. action just absurdly difficult and my boss had our team sessions every day was what's gone wrong with hp service desk today and what are we doing about it <laughs> and so my boss just got fed up and he googled what is better than hp service desk and that at the time was service now's marketing campaign so we nice. see this fly by night looking website <laughs> you know sure let's give them a try they can't possibly be worse than hp <laughs> and so like kick ass management right. decision making that's great man and let me for some more context because we were like weeks of legal wrangling with hp on whether or not they would let us buy a demo instance of their next product <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. We were wrangling over that. And, you know, we're on the horn with service now. They're like, hey, do you guys want to, you guys want your own instance? We're like, well, you know, I can't talk to procurement. They're like, nah, we'll just, we'll call you back in five minutes. Right. And then, yeah. And then there's like mycompany.servicenow.com. What the yes. hell is this? This is your demo yes. instance. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is on the internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes, dude. That is yeah. like, oh. That that was one of the one of the moments right there when it, when we were sold too, and we're like, yeah, where's the CD? <laughs> yeah, like, what do you need? Like, boom, a couple emails, and like an hour later, and boom, I'm planning yeah. this thing, and I was like, wow. I can't remember the amount of time exactly, and knowing this, we were like fresh, fresh off a six month implementation of HP. Whatever it was, it was measured in weeks. It was just impossibly fast. Part of it was just we learned through dealing with HP services that as long as the day is, you could just pack that with new and cool, interesting requirements and never right. be done in a million years. And so our approach was more like, what is going to keep you up at night if you lose, right? Okay. If we take, okay. if we get rid of this, is somebody going to come headhunting for you, right? Right. And uh, we took that approach and we deployed it in no time flat, but it, it went so fast that we were like, holy cow, what do we do next? And this is kind of getting into the more important part of the origin story. Sorry for taking this long, but so this, he was one of my first bosses, great mentor of mine. And I hate to say it this way because like the company that that used him didn't understand the gold mine that they were sitting on. They were just kind of this mid-level manager that, you know what I mean? They could fit him anywhere. And so they didn't, they didn't think of him as, as a ringer. Right. 
he was just the dude who they gave stuff to figure it out. So it was like the Joe Jobs, right? So the business was an advertising and media business. So the heart and soul of that is freelancers. Okay. Get freelancers yep. in as fast as possible and kick them out as fast as possible. They're coming in for hour gigs. This is way before the gig economy, by the way. And so they just, hey, Ron, go figure this out. And he just disappeared for a month and he came back. This is kind of like in parallel with our ServiceNow deployment. He came back as we were finishing saying, hey, listen, this is everything that it takes for every one of our brands in a multi-billion dollar global corporation that owned dozens to hundreds of brands, right? This is what it takes to onboard employees and freelancers across the board, like from building access to the hardware and software that we could give them, the security and governance and blah, 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 like massive Excel sheet. Wow. Okay. And he came and said, do you think ServiceNow can help us with this? We had just finished tinkering around with Order Guide. We're like, <laughs> yeah, like, let's give it a shot. <laughs> right, let's, let's give it a shot. Because we're oh. kind of, we kind of wrapped up this ITSM stuff kind of early. And frankly, we need something to make ourselves look busy. So we sat down and, <laughs> and well, I sat down and, and we built out onboarding and offboarding and moves in ServiceNow. Right. And this is like... You know, there's still millions of dollars in R&D being poured into how do we get this done right. And 10 years ago, you know, I, there's still a lot of room for improvement for what I built back then. But 10 years ago, I <laughs> nailed this. <laughs> um, and so if I think back to the virtues of architecture that we talked about in episode one, yeah. I, again, scalability, I think for me too, I was just starting to realize like if I'm really careful about the build, then it's easier when new features come in. It's easier if this company buys another big, huge company, it would be easier to move them in. Right. Uh, if, if, if you spend a lot of time thinking about the people who ask you first aren't going to be the people that, that aren't the people that are going to be added to it later. Right. The, so the, the people, the people who come next Exactly. You want to have the same requirements. And so you always want to make sure you leave yourself some space. Right. right to be able or, to yeah. And, and it was it was a big mix of things. It was like space to grow into new features, but also guardrails. Like this is the only stuff that's in scope. We, we're not going to do this part. You're going to have to do that in some other tool and integrate or whatever. Right. Right. Um, but we had a framework that could work for any office in the globe and any service that was offered and a lot of stuff beyond IT. You've heard me tell this story, right? I tell people that I was born 12 years ago which is when yeah. we deployed this because that was a moment I sat back at my desk and said, holy cow, with this tiny little ore that we'll call service now, I yeah. can jam that in the water and I can steer this friggin' battleship of a company. <laughs> and you better believe we did because, you know, we had this massive problem with our brands, right? They were like, you guys right. don't understand us. You don't understand how we do business. You guys are talking IT talk to us all the time. And why are we having to pay money for your services? You're garbage. And- <laughs> And within weeks of deploying that onboarding and offboarding service, the brands were going to senior leadership who didn't even have any idea that any of this was going on. They're like, what caused the turnaround? You guys are so awesome. This is really significantly altering our operations because now we can get stuff done a lot faster. And so all of a sudden our team started getting higher profile and you know, ITSM is awesome and whatnot. But to me, the the big defining moment, my origin story, the time I became Batman was getting onboarding and terminations into service now. And then that opened the floodgate of everybody else saying, hey, what else can we do with this? What else can we add to onboarding and offboarding? What just general business apps could we do? What's this ticketing tool stuff? 
We don't right. have that. It would be awesome. Right. And so that's really what sealed it for me. It's like, oh, this it, this isn't an it's a clever trick. ITSM is the Trojan horse to get this beautiful engagement and work management application in and really start solving big problems. Like before that, you know, I mean, especially doing magic and stuff, sure, you'd get cool requests and half the fun was tricking magic into understanding what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but most of it was just change the category trees, right? Change the, <laughs> change the honk honk category trees. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of it. That was a lot of it. But, you know, it's funny that you mentioned how, you know, ServiceDown is really just like this kick-ass work management um, piece that opened your eyes for the, in terms of what, what else can be done. In the, in the business. And I had that same awakening. I, I might even said it on my or, origin story, but nobody else did. Right. So I spent a significant amount of time trying to convince a lot of people in the business that this product that we already have, that we already own could significantly make the load for a lot of people significantly lighter. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. If only you just give me enough political capital to go off and get a few things done. Was there anything about your opening moves with the platform that made you realize there's kind of a difference between architects and devs and that you yeah. were on the architecture path versus the dev path? Yeah, um, because I was the only I was the only guy there. Right. And I guess, you know, that shouldn't that that itself shouldn't be the defining factor, but. And that's not to say I was the only guy on the team, right? I was on a team of, I don't know, over 20 some people, you know, worldwide, right? So there are a lot of us. I was the only guy there, though, who was on the ServiceNow team, right? That was it. And um, I was the only guy there who actually had saw the passion and the potential for the platform. So I knew that I had to be his caretaker. And I knew if I didn't present it in, his, in the best possible light, then the people who were already dismissing it and downplaying it would have more ammunition. And, you know, this is more of a personal point of pride. Right? I just don't give folks ammunition against me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you combine both of those things. And I just, I just really didn't have any choice, but to be the service. Now our architect, I had to think of the holistic value of the product because I was also the chief evangelist of the product. And I was trying to push it into corners of the business that I won't say resistant, but just ignorant. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't do that as a developer. You can't just go in and talk about your code. I, I had to start, I had to shift the entire language of the way that I communicate it. Everything went from transactional based to value based, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what can I give you? How can I make your life better? You know, as those wheels start to go and as I'm really having these conversations with people and actually trying to, you know, again, lighten their loads, the architecture part just kind of seamlessly blended and emerged from there. Hmm. Yeah, I got to admit, I was still in the admin slash developer mindset. I was getting I was getting the nudges in the architecture direction, but the whole onboarding and offboarding was very much a developer admin outlook. It was just, but that was the start of what I would call the crucible of stakeholders, the crucible of multiple stakeholders. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because yeah. A, there was just, there was a lot of different people that did things a lot of different ways. There were Absolutely. some services that were offered globally, except in these 15 countries, right? Yep. And you had to find a way to make that work. Yeah. But then I, it wasn't at the start. So it was probably like a year <laughs> after that. I had, uh, can I do another, can I just run through another experience? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> the company I worked for was basically acquiring large sized companies, companies large enough to have their own IT departments. 
and they okay. were doing it like multiple times a year, wow. sometimes once a month. Wow. Yeah, it was a big, huge acquisition period for them. And you know how these things go like, oh, we have our own IT, which we don't want to lose. You have an IT. How are we going to make those two cooperate together? Yeah, never and the all the political me. posturing and whatever. And so they they'd do these huge projects and they would be like a week to gather requirements and then blah, blah, blah. And they'd be months long projects. Right. And the executives were like, listen, appreciate that it's hard, but these can't take that long, period. Right, right. It cannot take that long. Like you have three weeks start to finish. Whenever yeah. we buy a company, we've got to have like operations, bam, three weeks. That's all we're going to give you. And so they looked at, at me and they're like, that's a service now problem. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we decided we embraced it. We're just like, okay, well, what, like, this is throw all the rules out the window. So I'm not sure how that fits into architecture. I guess just knowing what you, what tools you have to work with. Oh, what, what's your quote that you tell your son? So yeah. So you got to know the rules. So you know how to, so you know how to break them. Right. And, and that's right. always the key. That's always the key thing is that if you don't if you don't learn the rules of, of whatever, whatever ecosystem you're living in, whatever right. place, whatever time. Right. If you don't learn those rules, there's no possibility for you to break them and you cannot succeed if you can't break the rules. That's right. We had learned all the rules of service catalog. Right. We had done order guides at the wazoo, record producers at the wazoo, and we had done a few custom tables for internal apps. And so what we ended up building was kind of, a, I like to call it a lightweight domain separation. Okay. But we basically built a form that you could enter in a lot of stuff that the team wanted. And that form would basically generate you a new extension of a table, oh. of a task table. And then you could basically, you'd have the record and you'd put They'd have a categories tab, a groups tab, a users tab. And so basically you'd assemble together an intake form with their old category trees and it would dump to a table whose ACLs we could manage separately, but also give kind of global oversight to. So yeah. the global teams could see everything in that group stuff, but that group could see their stuff and only their stuff. And they could have their own intake form on self-service directed to certain people and that was all driven off of one form, a record producer. So instead of starting a project, we'd have them fill out a form and then they'd have their own semi-self-contained ticketing solution. That's, I think, the point where I said, no, uh, there's, I'm not a developer, right? Right. I will draw this out on a napkin and I, I can understand how the moving parts work together. And I'm obsessed with getting tons of disparate teams working on the same platform and that requires a centralized, dedicated discipline of design, right? And that's not right. necessarily a developer. I had a developer on my team who was knocking all the hard stuff out for me on execution, but that was my, oh, you're a, you're an architect now moment. Yeah, that was the point where you had to take a step back and, and not just implement, 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 but also question how you're going to implement and question what you're implementing. I got a question for you. Yeah. Knowing what you know now... <laughs> would, you, would you go back and do anything differently? Huh? So yeah, thinking through that, I don't know if I would. And I, and I say that because I think I, I, I try to live my life in a way, you know, uh, on, on, with the, with the phrase, no regrets. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the things that I learned from the mistakes that I made at that time made me a better everything architect, developer, you know, administrator, and, you know, consultant, 
you know, all of those things. And so making those mistakes, I think, became an integral person, an integral part of, of me becoming the person I am now. So I likely wouldn't change anything. I think if there's anything I would add or do differently would be to press a little harder um, because I knew the I knew the potential of the platform. And I, I could have, I think, done some really cool transformational things at that company and had I maybe pressed a little harder and maybe built some things, proof of concept to you to aid me when I was talking through stuff, because I think the because I think one of the, the one of the keys was that ServiceNow was so magical. It was so magical and I was so passionate about it that I often felt like I did the platform a disservice because I don't think people could grasp that it was capable of the things that I, like I felt like I was talking it up too much Mm -hmm. and that people didn't think that it was actually capable of doing what I was saying, which it was capable of so much more, right? But I was, you know, by me kind of overselling it, they were picking up on it. They were thinking I I was overselling it, right? So- you know, I would, I think I would, if I was to go back and do things again, I would, I would build more proof of concepts and use those in, in my pitches versus just um, coming, coming in cold and, and, you know, with a, with a, with a notebook and a, and a pen. That's a great one. The speed to prototype is pretty yeah. phenomenal. I think if I was to go back, the thing I would do differently is focus a lot more on the virtue of transferability. I get angry and uh, vocal about teams that don't leave handoff documents or documentation behind. Uh-huh. And we had a certain amount of documentation at that first at that first instance, but we developed a lot of business specific custom apps. And it, you know, in the long run, not having that virtue of transferability in place hurt in two ways. The first way is that you know it's like you never understand how much energy it takes to maintain status quo. So the yep. new leadership comes in and they're like, oh, what's yep. the service now thing? It costs us like $100,000 oh, a year or whatever. We should just get rid of that. Yes. Now having, and they just look at the line item label. Oh, it's an ITSM yeah. tool. Who cares? Well, who yeah. cares? It's the it's the underpinning for your global onboarding and offboarding process, right? right? And yeah. if I had some kind of executive summary, just, just an executive yeah. summary of every yeah. feature I put in, and not I'm just talking like every feature, I'm talking about like, onboarding and offboarding that's yep. the scale of feature if i had an executive summary for each of those plus everything else that we did because there was yep. lots we yep. could easily just pop that into a powerpoint slide say hey listen before you just not buy this not renew this think about what the blankety blank you're doing right think yeah. of the capabilities that you're delivering this, by the way ServiceNow makes this a lot easier with the new apm tool <laughs> um yeah. so you can talk about the capabilities that the app has that delivers yeah, but i had nothing right i had what's there and i'm not going to compel them to have a demo but i could have got them to read like five bullet points on an email and i wish i had kind of supporting evidence of the value that had been created and is being sustained and the second way not having that screwed us over was again senior leadership changed and they just sort of outsource all that division to you know a team that was offshore and the people being brought into the fold had only ever known remedy and it was kind of like all you service now folks go away and we're handing this over to the remedy folks and just for their sake i wish i had something to hand them that says as soon as you know what you're doing now you'll understand the stuff that we've got prepared for you and all the problems we solved but those people had to figure it out themselves shout out to gaurav shaudori didn't pronounce your name right i'm sure of it but you're the man for doing that gaurav (laughs) (laughs) nice you know it's funny you know a lot of that i can i can totally relate to because i lived through it 
at the place I was too, you know, from the executive change over over to building and onboarding and offboarding and you know, and, and not just from a, a level of this is IT onboarding and offboarding. This was onboarding and offboarding for the entire multinational company, right? You know, the entire global global mm-hmm. aspect of it. So transferability, man, I'm telling you, I think that's really, really a big one. I mean, there's a couple others too, you know, when I think about it, it's like sustainability, I think it goes right hand in hand with that one, right? You know, when you leave, is the product now still sustainable for whoever comes behind you? Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, when I left the um, the place where I was, it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, you know, ultimately, I don't think that was okay. I think I could have done that better. I've learned to do that better since then. Uh, the, so maybe if I had to go back, you know, if, if one thing to go back, maybe not in the beginning, it's, it's, it's the end, you know, and figure out the end a little bit better. Um, right. All right, folks, we're approaching time here. Lots of lessons for anybody who's uh, who's new to ServiceNow or maybe just new to the architecture position. We're doing this so that you guys can learn from our experience and our mistakes and our successes. And so it's our pleasure to give this to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this this show has been uh, it's been fun. Uh, just kind of taking a, a walk down memory lane and, and reliving some of the, the memories, you know, and the, the experiences that kind of you know created me as the person that I am today inside the ServiceNow ecosystem. So keep your eyes open, folks. Next episode is coming soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Take care. <laughs>